Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of The Clueless Capitalist, where we help you become less clueless about angel investing. My name is Razi. And my name is Osman, and together we're The Clueless Capitalists. So for this episode, we have the privilege of having the co-founder and CEO of MedEasy. MedEasy is an online pharmacy and an online tele-consultation service from Bangladesh. So, hello Arifin. Hi, uh, Razi and Osman. It's nice to talk to you here. So thank you for joining us for this episode. And uh, as always, I mean, I've always given a short introduction of the startup. It's best to hear from the founder and the CEO on what does MedEasy do. Sure, thank you. So MedEasy is an online pharmacy and doctor consultation app based in Bangladesh. And our vision is to make the lives of 30 million chronic patients uh, easier uh, who are in Bangladesh. So by chronic patients, we mean the people who are suffering from lifelong diseases like diabetes, hypertension, and cardiac problems. Our focus is to make their lives uh, using technology and how they access healthcare. Hi, this is Arifin, co-founder and CEO of MedEasy. MedEasy is an online pharmacy and doctor consultation app uh, based in Bangladesh. In 18 months since our launch, we have delivered 25,000 uh, plus medicine orders to 6,000 paying customers. And uh, we just crossed $1 million in annualized sales uh, last month. There are 30 million chronic patients in Bangladesh who are suffering from lifelong diseases like diabetes, hypertension, and cardiac problems. And these patients struggle to refill their prescription every month because some medicine are always out of stock in the nearby pharmacy. So they have to go from one pharmacy to another to refill their whole prescription in the horrible traffic jam of Bangladesh. Also, there is an inconsistency in the pricing of the same medicine, uh, sometimes based on the location. And after all this trouble, the medicine you get as a customer can turn out to be a fake or counterfeit. And I faced all of these problems myself because my father was a chronic patient and I used to buy medicine for him. So that's why I started this company in the first place. Medicine is a mobile app uh, that makes ordering medicine very easy for these people. Our users have to simply uh, upload their prescription and they get authentic medicine delivered to their doorstep within 24 hours. At even more affordable price than the retailers. Our customers are loving MedEasy, which is uh, proven by the fact that we have a month one retention rate of 84% among the chronic patients with an average order value of $33. And the customer acquisition cost is fully paid back in less than three months. Because of this strong unit economics, we are growing consistently every month. In the last year, we have grown more than six times up in terms of revenue. And we are just barely scratching the surface. Uh, we are serving 6,000 customers with near 30 million chronic patients in Bangladesh that represents a market opportunity of $12 billion. And this market is also growing at a 15% CAGR. So there are other online pharmacies, but the key differentiating factor with us is our proprietary technologies like our intelligent uh, inventory ordering system that allow us to operate with much, much less inventory than them. Also our automated customer support system and our pharmacist backend platform and also our logistics and delivery platform and how all these are integrated and customized just for this pharmaceutical delivery. Also our decentralized uh, distribution model uh, makes us faster in terms of delivery by design. And we are also building a marketplace for hospitals and doctors where patients will be able to discover their relevant healthcare providers uh, book their services and pay online and leave reviews for other patients 
and this will create a strong network effect that will create actually a strong mode for us right now we are with online pharmacy and doctor consultation we are uh, operating in the primary healthcare market but eventually we want to go deeper for example we want to introduce lab tests and also hospital services by 2025 and after that eventually we want to become a full stack complete chronic care platform if eventually going into surgeries and even embedded finance as well so financing all the healthcare needs for the op uh, procedures and surgery team consists of myself uh, i'm arifin i'm the ceo i come from a data science and machine learning background my co-founder and cto nazmul has nine years of uh, software engineering experience for multiple companies and uh, my another co-founder moktadir is a medical doctor with five years experience in the healthcare industry of bank Right now, we are raising our $750,000 uh, seed round to achieve $18 million in annualized GMV by December 2023. I think that's it. Thank you. Okay. But before we jump into the uh, into the questions, one thing I really liked about when we met Arifin was your founder story, your background, why you chose to do this as well, and even the, the things that you mentioned around how you ran Facebook ads and you have the, the number calling you. All of those things were, were really things to talk about. I'd love you to be able to uh, talk us through that uh, and, uh, and give us some more in, insight into your background. Yeah, thank you, Osman. I graduated from a computer science department uh, from one of the like uh, leading universities in Bangladesh called Zuet in actually late 2017. So and after that, I got into I was very excited about the new discoveries that were happening in uh, the field of artificial intelligence and machine learning and natural language processing. So I, I started as uh, working as a researcher in that field. So uh, I and eventually I joined as a machine learning engineer in one of the um, startup in Bangladesh called Socian who were working on speech recognition and uh, natural language processing system. So there I, I worked for almost, almost three years and we were working on exciting projects like we built the first automatic speech recognition system available in uh, Bangla for Bangla language so, and, and also some other stuff. But at the same time, and I was uh, actually preparing for my PhD in machine learning to go to USA for that. But at the same time, my father was a chronic patient. He was struggling with diabetes and hypertension and cardiac and renal problems. And I used to take care of him. So I used to take him to the doctors, uh, buy medicine for him every month and doing the lab tests and everything. So that's when I pitched uh, this idea to one of my colleagues in that company, just as a side project. Why do we have to go to the doctors every time like to do a follow-up uh, physically? They can simply, uh, after doing the lab test, they can simply get digitally the lab test reports and uh, modify the prescription to the patient and send it to the patient. They, they, and if needed, they can do a video consultation just like we are doing right now. But it was pre-COVID, so it was not uh, normal. The telemedicine was not uh, the trend. So we started uh, building a platform for the hospitals and the doctors. So basically a B2B SaaS platform. And we, we built the initial MVP. And it took us some time because we were having uh, doing this full-time job and then again two hours, three hours, four hours every night working on this. And we named that platform as, in Bangla it's called Dr. Bondhu, which means doctor and friend. So basically doctor as a friend. So we wanted to uh, make uh, represent the doctors as a friend to the patient that you have uh, every time like you can chat with him, you can do a call with him, you can share your report with him through uh, this single platform. That was the goal. 
But then eventually we actually won one of the uh, startup idea competition uh, arranged by one of the largest telcos in Bangladesh called Ruby Asiata Limited, uh, which the competition was called Our Venture. We became one of the winners of them. But then COVID hit, somehow our funding got stopped and we didn't actually start working on the project full time and we didn't launch that actually product to the hospital. So the doctors we talked to, they were asking for the products but then when COVID hit, chamber was shut down, their offices were shut down and they all uh, went into hibernation and it was very difficult to sell a product like this to the doctors. But then telemedicine became mainstream during COVID. So we did a little pivot and became a B2C telemedicine provider. So instead of charging the doctors, we uh, became a marketplace. So And we still are a marketplace for telemedicine. Doctors could actually sign up a uh, supply side and we would verify the doctors and onboard them and the patients could simply download our mobile app and take an appointment with the doctor and do consultation and get digital prescription. So that's what we launched eventually in October 2020. We officially launched it. The beta testing started a little bit earlier. So October 2020, officially uh, I quit my job, my co-founder quit his job and we officially started, four of us actually started the full time. But, uh, at the same time, something interesting was happening. So every month, we would spend a little bit of money on marketing. We would get some downloads and uh, some new consultations happening every month. But the problem was, though it was growing, it was not growing fast enough because every month we had to acquire new customers. But because the uh, repeat customer rate was very low. So the retention rate was like around 10%, which means one in every 10 consultations uh, are happening actually as a repeat customer. So people were coming back, one in every, every 10 customers, but nine of them are were not coming back. So that was a problem. And another problem was when you don't use a, an app for a long time, you don't see the, see the utility in keeping that in your phone. So they were actually uninstalling the app, some of them after like two months. So to me, that didn't make any sense to work on something that, that was not used frequently. So uh, my uh, thinking at, at that time was, so if we really want to build a valuable business like say Facebook or Uber or this kind of, we, we want to scale it to that level, at least to the 30 million patients in Bangladesh, uh, we cannot have a thing that people use every three months. Then we started getting a little bit request in December 2020, we started getting requests from some of our customers who were getting digital prescription, but they could not find the needed medicine the doctor prescribed in their nearby farms and they requested us the doctors on your platform wrote this prescription so can you please uh, arrange this medicine for me so we were like okay no we are a technology company so we are not in these operations business and we will only provide the platform and we are a marketplace we cannot do that but okay uh, so just to keep you so that you you were happy with our service and keep coming back we will uh, so i i used to buy this from a pharmacy and send it through a courier service and sometimes if it's nearby i would even uh, even go to the patient's home and deliver it myself but the thing was we were seeing after getting these 10 deliveries people were ordering uh, again repeat, repeatedly for this medicine so i was a little bit shocked that is medicine something that people needs even more frequently than doctor consulting so maybe this can be a nice feature uh, for our app so that people don't delete our app basically and we can uh, grow again so I launched actually to experiment uh, in January 2021. So uh, to, just to test the demand, 
that uh, just a little to facebook app not the uh, we didn't have any like in the mobile app the mobile app was this just for doctor consultation there was no medicine database there was no nothing to upload the prescription app so no feature was there and i didn't even tell my team uh, in detail i i launched this small experiment just giving out my phone number that if you did medicine within this uh, one hour you can call this number and a small another five dollar ad called uh, it will take like 48 up to 48 hours but you will get this all this medicine uh, in one place and you, you will get a certain amount of discount the interesting fact was after that seven day experiment within seven days i myself delivered i think we, we got 30 plus orders but i was alone so i could not deliver to all over the dhaka city but i could only uh, deliver like 15 or 16 uh, orders and i had to call other people that yeah, this is too far and I cannot deliver, sorry. After that, I talked to the patients and they were very uh, hyped about it. After seeing so much enthusiasm, I asked, uh, why did you order from here? So people who were having one of these diseases like diabetes, hypertension and this kind of stuff, they were saying that we need a lot of medicine every month, which is almost for some people 20%, 30% of their monthly salary. For some people, it's uh, uh, like the average is 15% to 20%. So for them, if we can uh, get it cheaper than the retailers, and we, we could not find all this medicine in uh, our nearby pharmacy. So if you can fulfill all of this within 24 hours for me, so this is a great convenience to me as a patient. So then it clicked and I still waited another 15 to 30 days to see if if their money is where their mouth is. So just to see that they, they place on repeat order. So after uh, I see like 40% retention among these patients, then I was like, okay, let's now integrate this into app and create a better experience. For and now, yeah, uh, now we are uh, we have a dedicated team for all these customer support and pharmacies and delivery. But at that time, I was that person all in one. And yeah, and well, till date, we have delivered more than twenty-five thousand uh, orders now. See, that, that's an amazing story for me because it, it's kind of textbook in in what you learn uh, when you go to classes on entrepreneurship uh, about how to do a minimum viable product how to pivot we always talk about the lean startup about pivoting and changing from one idea to another and and this is just great to hear because you've pretty much done all of this you created a business idea it was working but not working the way you expected you elicited the feedback from your customers and you noticed a trend and the trend was that people were actually ordering medicine and they were ordering it regularly and that would address your repeat user metric right because your repeat user metric was at 10% and now it's gone up to 30 40% um, just by offering another feature within your product and, and the fact that you were looking at a telemedicine solution to begin with and, and the pivot now is into into medicine. That for me is a classic pivot. You you notice something, you look at the data and you experimented as well. You did an A-B test. You said if you want it in one hour versus 24 hours or 48 hours. And then you would go and talk to the customers as well. The bit that you didn't mention, uh, which we heard in uh, when we were talking last time, was when you you yourself went to deliver some of these products, and you yourself spoke to the customer, <clears throat> you asked the questions, 
and you found out directly from the customer. For me, that's absolutely valuable, right? Because you you actually understand the real problem and the real issues of, of your own clientele, and that makes your product substantially better. The the other thing that I really like as well, because we hear the, the term AI all the time. Um, as investors, everyone says, oh, we're AI driven. We're using this unique technology. The other interesting thing here is your background is that you you yourself dropped out of doing a PhD in AI, but you're already knowledgeable in AI. So when when you talk about AI technology, the fact that you've got all this technical background in AI already, it adds credibility to your product story. Right. Um, so for me, there were a number of things in here which really, really made me interested in your capability. One, your your technical background, your um, experience in terms of understanding the user problem, and then all the other data that you were gathering to pivot your product. You've run your minimum viable product, and for me, a minimum viable product for the listeners here doesn't mean that you have to go and code something and create something and and say here you go Uh, if you look at Kareem Kareem's original product was just run off of a spreadsheet with people phoning up taxi drivers and then they exited at a 10 billion valuation with uber so they built the the technology as they went along but they were understanding what the needs of the customer were through paper process what your minimum viable product here was literally that advert you know, the, the Facebook advert to say, if you want to have this product delivered in an hour, click here. If you want it delivered in 48 hours, click here. If people are clicking on the, on that, it tells you that there's market demand. You've reached your product market fit without actually having created any product. Um, so this is like the smartest thing that I've seen. And it's textbook as well. If you read the book, uh, The Lean Startup, it gives you examples of that and here's here's my living breathing example of somebody doing that you know i'm absolutely amazed and i love hearing the story and i think for for people watching this is what we mean by minimum viable product this is what we mean by creating metrics that matter you understand that the metrics here that that are really mattering is the repeat customer base if a repeat customer base isn't there How do you improve that repeat customer base? Why does it matter? It's because your customer acquisition cost is always going to be high. If you look at any large organization, what they say is always try and retain your customer because acquiring a new customer is really costly, right? So if you lose a customer, that's a big catastrophe and you have to go and spend a lot of money to acquire. So naturally we would expect if your retention base is higher, then your customer acquisition cost is coming down, or at least uh, theoretically, that's what you would expect. I really love the story. I mean, you, uh, I, I could listen to this uh, story over and over and ag- again. I think over dinner there was a lot more. Uh, there was a lot more in it that uh, Arifin has uh, 
edited out in this retelling. But I was curious to know, Arifin, there were a few things that you shared with us about that pivot away from being just a telemedicine or doctor consultation provider. And you did mention that you spoke to bigger players uh, in your neighboring countries and you discovered something about the telemedicine business as compared to the online pharmacy business. And I thought that bit was quite interesting as well. So I know you might not want to name names, but if you could just share a little bit about what you discovered while running the uh, doctor consult versus uh, online pharmacy model. Yeah, so I, I always wanted to be sure that whatever, because a startup is a long journey, right? It's a seven to 10 years journey uh, from beginning to so to, to have this long-term commitment and I am as the CEO I'm pitching not just the investors to give their money to me uh, it's uh, I'm pitching my early team members uh, I'm pitching my co-founders and everyone involved that you have to get into this exciting journey with me so that you will get a lot of value from it but if I am not I myself am not sure that this will actually create value for uh, all of us so how can we pitch so that was a uh, I was having a little bit sort of imposter syndrome at that time because with 10% retention rate, how, how can I actually say to my RD employees that come join me for uh, maybe we'll get some equity and this this will be valuable. So come as uh, for half a salary that you would get in an MNC. So, so I, was, I was having this dilemma that uh, will it actually work? At that time, I tried to contact all the other telemedicine players in Bangladesh and uh, that I could reach and also some outside Bangladesh in South Asia or in even similar market in Asia, in Indonesia, in India, in Pakistan. And also after pivoting to online pharmacy, I started to contact with the online pharmacy founders as well. So after talking to the other doctor consultation uh, platforms, and there were like four or five of them uh, during COVID, and especially by 2021, there were like four or five. So I I talked to at least two, three of of them, and uh, they were like, having the same problem with retention with the doctor consultation. So the main thing was people usually uh, needs to have a doctor consultation every three or four months. So three times or four times a year. So this was an infrequent problem. So they all were struggling with this problem. How to get them after three months, uh, they would even for- forget the brand's name. So they would again go to Google and search a doctor consultation app. So you are not having this retention. They, they may go to another plan after, after four months. So that is also uh, the same challenges were faced by all the other uh, founders I talked to. I talked to the CEOs of other, other television platforms as well. So they, all they were doing is acquiring new customers every month and uh, it's a new set of customers. Not uh, So not many of them could crack this repeat uh, customer too. And when I talked to the other successful online pharmacy founders in um, that are quite big, like billion dollar, uh, multi-billion dollar business now in India. Uh, so. Actually, uh, he gave us insight that what we are pivoting to was uh, the right thing because this, uh, so the thing that he uh, told me that stuck with me and uh, still uh, here with me is you will see a lot of opportunities in healthcare. So, and if you get lured by all of these opportunities, you can do many things. You can do many things. You can do uh, even you can only build a startup just picking up one niche market. So for example, dermatology, the skincare and hair care, or you can just choose mental health, or you can, so there are a lot of opportunities. You can choose just one disease and make a business out of it. But 
he said to me that what you are doing right now focusing on just the chronic patients not the skin care not the all the fancy and high margin businesses not the laser and aesthetics and cosmetic surgery and everything don't focus on that just do what you do best right now because uh, just focus on serving how you can serve the best these people the patient with diabetes cardiac and uh, these kind of problems because these patients until they uh, like uh, until they die they will have to uh, struggle with these diseases and uh, so my goal is to make their lives a little bit easier uh, with technology so that's the goal that's why we are laser focused on executing and making the experience the customer experience better and better so and what that, that's exactly what we and our team uh, have been doing for the last uh, 18 months and we we are seeing the result of that So uh, I, I told you that when I started that experiment in early 2021, in the quarter one, uh, retention rate was um, around 40%. But right now, you can see that among the chronic patients, our month one retention rate is uh, 84%. So that number has gone very high, and uh, we are even trying to break that to like more than 90%. So that 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 is one of the uh, metrics that matters to us, and we we believe that is the most important metric to figure out if we have a product market fit or not. and the stronger we find our product market fit then we can spend actually to grow uh, and before that point there is no point in uh, spending money on acquiring customers because it's a leaky bucket problem then we, we get a lot of thousands of customers then they leak every month so there's no uh, point in building that kind of company i i had just one more question around the founding story so you did share with us that um, you had done a lot of applications and i think it was your late father's dream that you become a you get a phd so when was that moment when and you also mentioned there's a friend of yours who has gone on to do the phd and you are applying together so what was that moment for you when you realized that hey uh, instead of pursuing this phd i need to build med easy was there a moment or like how did you come to that particular okay. big decision yeah that's a more uh, like bit of personal story but yeah anyway so uh, that, that was a difficult choice for me always like from the from my childhood actually i was always a little bit uh, you know reverse stream some kind of thing so uh, my my family wanted uh, in the first place to to be a doctor so they wanted me to be a doctor at the first place and then i fell in love with programming uh, when i was like 18 years old and i, I was like no i am going to study computer science and then uh, they were like okay then uh, get Okay, they they were okay with like South Asian parents and family uh, members. They were okay with okay. You you want to study engineering? Go study engineering, but you have to uh, go to the uh, this particular university to study engineering in, in Dhaka. But in that university, uh, I didn't get to study computer science. I got a chance to study other engineering subjects like materials engineering, like urban planning and architecture and those kind of stuff. So, but I was really into computer science, but I could not get the computer science department there. But I got into the second best uh, university in Bangladesh, the computer science department. So they were like, "No, don't go like 200 kilometers away from Dhaka. You start, uh, stay here and study other engineering stuff. You didn't, you don't want to become a doctor, become an engineer. Okay, that's okay." That was, I was like, "No, I have to become a computer engineer, not just any engineer." So, okay. So then again, I uh, went to that, and that was uh, all these decisions. I, I don't regret. Because I enjoyed the study, I enjoyed the things, I enjoyed coding, uh, like the uh, four years of my under undergrads. And then again, uh, I was I was quite uh, like one of the best coder uh, programmers in my batch. 
and I, I was about to go into maybe software engineering and this kind of stuff. Then again, in 2013, there was a revolution in artificial intelligence technologies called deep learning. So there was artificial neural network and these kind of new technologies coming on and I got excited by that. And in 2016-17, I started working on, I got so much fascinated about machine learning and uh, AI that I started working, building projects on those things. And then I decided I, I'm not going to be just a software engineer. I, I'm going to uh, become a machine learning engineer and go. Then it was okay. My, my father was uh, okay with it. Okay, now go to USA and get a PhD on what you love. So it was perfect. But after that, when I actually, I, I was still unsure about all this, but when COVID hit in the first wave in uh, May 2020, uh, my whole family, including uh, me, got COVID-19. And so we actually uh, got well after uh, within 14 days. But my uh, father, as he already had all these uh, diseases and problems, so after fighting with COVID for like almost 30 days, and I was with him, uh, as I was also COVID positive, I was with him. I was allowed to uh, stay with him in the hospital room, same room, until he was taken to the ICU. And uh, unfortunately, he could not sustain that. So um, uh, I lost my father to uh, COVID. And after that, I took a break from my uh, job at that time. And I thought about all these and it was a hard decision. But then at that point, I was like, OK, uh, so I, I can't go to USA and maybe uh, not pursue this. But so that's one thing uh, for, for everyone, actually. So in developed market, when uh, we see a startup, in most cases, these are like you can see some um, video streaming startup or even game streaming like Twitch and entertainment or like maybe some kind of TikToks or uh, some kind of thing. Because fundamental problems, even in Singapore, the fundamental problems like healthcare education are already taken care of to some extent by the government and by the already established like 100 years of companies. But in developing markets, emerging markets like Bangladesh or Indonesia, or even India, there are a lot of problems that government can solve fully, at least in the next 50 years. So this is an opportunity for us just not to create financial value for us, but create a real impact, like helping the people like my father and and me, uh, all these other 30 million patients have create a long lasting impact on the society, on the Bangladeshi So this cannot be like uh, measured in uh, any other thing. So, at that time, after like pondering over this like for 20 days or 30 days, I was like, okay, then I quit my job and I decided to actually uh, pursue this full time. And I was like on board with the seven years journey. Yeah, and that's it. Oh, and my friend that uh, I was studying with, uh, we were preparing for, uh, we took the GRE, the test that was needed to do the PhD in America. And uh, he eventually applied and he is now out of college. Uh, after master's, he actually also dropped out. He didn't complete his PhD, but he did his master's in Canada, actually. And he is now working in uh, Boeing, the airplane company, as a data scientist. So, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing this story. I think there's so much in this uh, founding story, like what uh, Osman shared. Like there's so many of these uh, classic textbook uh, examples of what makes a great founder story. And that's why I think like a... As uh, potential uh, angel investors, I think these give us the belief and the faith that uh, the this particular founder and this founding team has what it takes to bring this idea to to where it envisions to bring it. So yeah, I think it's uh, very very promising to hear uh, what you have done. So now that we know what you have done and uh, how you got to where you are today, I think one of the questions that we would like to know and also the viewers would like to know is um, what is holding back MedEasy at this point of time? 
like what's holding it back from growing to the level or getting to the level that uh, you hope to drive it towards? So the first part uh, of our journey was finding product market fit, and that is actually quantified by having this uh, increasing this retention number from that forty percent number to more than eighty percent. So we have achieved that. So now we are confident. Uh, uh, we are, we are confident that now if we pour uh, money, this will create a growth engine for us because now we have. The, the data to show that we have a certain number of customer acquisition cost and this, this is the lifetime value and this is the CAC payback period. So our CAC payback period is less than three months. So we, we get everything uh, fully compensated within, within three months. Then we can use that money to grow again. And also we don't just want to become uh, fully dependent on uh, just paid marketing. We believe the ideal goal for me uh, to achieve this a uh, 50-50. So 50% should be totally organic and word of mouth, referral through SEO without spending a dime. And maybe 50% growth will uh, come from paid marketing at, at the, in the next uh, two years. So that is the goal uh, to achieve. Right now, uh, the organic growth and the word of mouth and everything is uh, around 20%, but our goal is to achieve 50% of that. So I think now we know that we have this product market fit. We know we track all these metrics like GMV, the margin, everything is increasing every month. Uh, in the last month, we, we saw a 23% month over month growth compared to May without spending uh, spending very little in like uh, in growth in sales and marketing, very, very little, almost negligible. So we have this retention, we have this CAC to LTV ratio figured out and we, are, we have reduced the delivery time significantly. That's why now is the right time. We are raising our seed round of $750,000 to fuel this growth and to uh, take it to the next level. So right now we are we are working around $1 million in annualized GMP. Our goal is to raise this amount as soon as possible and achieve $18 million in annualized GMP by December 20, which will take us to our series A. So that's the goal. Now we are totally in the growth mode. The comment that I re- really want—it's not really a question; it's more like a, an observation, because we hear of product, especially uh, salespeople uh, like myself. We always go and we we talk to customers and we say, if we only had this particular product capability, we would sell more. And I think one comment that you made as well while we were talking was that you focused on this particular product on this particular segment and you're not going to deviate from that which I think is really important because the the key comment you made uh, while we were having dinner was otherwise we become an IT outsourcing company we're just making software for people and, and that's not what you're into right so remaining focused on on the product remaining focused on the the capability that you have and growing that particular space it is really important and the fact it's focusing on chronic illnesses to begin with is an interesting take on that. The question I have specifically was, is something that you keep on bringing up. It's about authentic medicine and not fake medicine. Is that a particular problem in Bangladesh? Because you also mentioned that the unique thing around Bangladesh is that you manufacture most of the medicine in country. So, but normally if you're manufacturing medicine in country, the cost is very low. 
So the potential for fake substitutes is also very, in my mind, it should be very low because the products are being made here in country. Therefore, the cost should be low. Therefore, why would you waste your time trying to introduce fake medicine? And But yet in your pitch deck, you talk about authentic medicine being a key requirement here. Can you just talk us through that? Yeah, maybe you're not familiar with this kind of thing, but in South Asia, not only in Bangladesh, in Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, this is a common phenomenon. So there are some people who often have previous experience working with these pharmaceutical companies to like low, low level or junior level position in the marketing or sales department or something like that. They figure out a way, what are some medicines that are in high demand? And these are mostly uh, generic medicine like uh, medication for uh, asthma, medication for uh, gastric uh, ulcer, and and also some other like medicine that are on high demand. And what they do is they have created this uh, large industry of counterfeit medicine uh, underground. And every week, if you're an active reader of Bangladeshi newspapers or the Bangladeshi media, uh, you will see that almost every week, some of these people get caught by the police. And then they discovered that there are like uh, thousands of boxes of fake medicine that are just the, so as they have done this job in pharmaceutical industry and especially in the marketing department, they know the packaging very well. So what they do is they create this fake medicine, but they try to imitate the packaging of the actual manufacturer because they have all these four or five years of experience working in this one. Uh, some, sometimes they, they got even sacked for the same reason. But after getting sacked, they, they try to do, do all these things. And some of the uh, retailers for getting it for a cheaper price or getting some extra incentive, they, instead of ordering directly from the manufacturers, they buy from these B2B, like uh, you can say a wholesale market. So when a retailer, uh, instead of buying directly from the manufacturers, buy from the wholesale market, there is a chance that 10 to 20% medicine actually for this category, not for all category, but for this category medicine, 10 to 20% probability uh, is there that this medicine can be fake. And this can be life-threatening for uh, some patients, some patients with asthma, some patients with uh, severe different conditions like uh, gastroenterological problems and this kind of stuff. So this medication can even lead to severe health hazard, even with death in some cases. That's why government and the law enforcement agency is uh, trying their best to capture all this market and destroy this. But still, there are some large players who are in the play in the underground supplying this medicine uh, to the retailers through this wholesale market. So that's why we are focusing so much on this because all the uh, patients of ours who are mostly educated and take care a lot about these things. They, they even question us about our the authenticity of our medicine. And as all of our medicine are directly purchased from the manufacturers, we can actually show them the invoice. For, and uh, they have this unique number uh, on the packet of the medicine that that is actually verifiable that this is from the manufacturers because all these fake packages, they use the fake number and that number is does not match with the actual invoice of the manufacturers. That cannot be matched. We are trying to now digitize those. We are also proposing to uh, the manufacturers that they create uh, a unique QR code that is actually digitally verifiable instead of this manual invoicing thing. 
So I think three or four pharmaceuticals already have, have introduced this uh, thing uh, with their uh, package so that the patient can simply scan the QR code. And if they don't have this QR code or it's a fake QR code, the medicine is fake. So it is verifiable. And we are also talking to other like 30 other manufacturers that we are pushing for this, that when you manufacture uh, medicine, please introduce a QR code or let us make it for you and uh, maybe so we are in talk and maybe hopefully in future that uh, every medicine will be very viable. Okay. So the patients yeah. actually when they buy from us, they get this uh, peace of mind that they are not getting anything medicine. These are actually authentic. Okay, uh, that's really, really important for us to know because we're not familiar with the Bangladesh market. And I think we, uh, both me and Razi, we mentioned this uh, in, in one of our previous videos as well, that most of the time as angel investors we have to have an open mind because we don't understand the, the problem statement sometimes and we have to take a view as to okay well here's a problem statement that we can't get our heads around right so for example in singapore the conversation that we had over over the meal last time was in the uk and in singapore the medical practice is very different in singapore you go to your doctor you get your medicine from the doctor right you just literally walk out of the uh, uh, doctor consultation and the receptionist is dispensing the medicine whereas in the uk and in bangladesh you go to see your doctor, the doctor gives you the prescription and then you go to see a pharmacist and get the medicine. So just having, just understanding that the audience expectation is very different as well was important, especially for our, our viewers to know. And in this particular case, we, we just don't even see the issue of fake medicines as being a problem, right? So uh, yeah, thanks for right. sharing that. What the doctors do, especially the specialists, they cannot spend enough time to the patients. They, can, they just write the prescription, but after that, they don't have the time to explain the prescription to the patient. 